Welcome to our Frontline City Church podcast. This message will activate and inspire you in the supernatural love of God to find your purpose and reach your destiny through Christ. I've spent the last week basically permanently in repentance because I've messed up in leading this church because I'm more of a people pleaser than a God pleaser without realizing it. I say with words that I want to please God but people's attitudes and people's things affect me more than what it should and just get a tissue. Praise God. Oh, praise you, Jesus. In 2 Timothy 3, the Bible says this about Hannes up to this moment. I'll read from verse 5. Having a form of godliness but denying its power have nothing to do with such people. God is talking about those who are sitting in church and doing all the godly stuff, but denying the power of God. Not pursuing all that God has in power. but only wanting to look like we're doing godly stuff. Only wanting to be in church, but not really pushing in. Don't preach a gospel that makes me uncomfortable. Don't do anything that rocks the boat. Because I just want to look like godly. I don't really want to be godly. And it gets worse. Turn with me to Revelations 3 and verse 15 to 17. This scripture just ripped me to, to my... I know you inside and out and find little to my liking. You're not cold and you're not hot far better to be either cold or hot. You're stale and you're stagnant. Don't go ahead to stay there. Nothing is changing year after year. You're the same this year as what you were last year. And I'm talking about God talking to me. I'm not talking to you. Nothing has changed, Dennis. You've stayed the same. You're stale and you're stagnant. Go back to verse 15 for me. And I find little to my liking. Go to verse 17. You're stagnant. You make me want to vomit. That's what God says about a church. That's what God's saying about Frontline. That's what God's saying about me. 
you're blind, pitiful beggar, threadbare and homeless. Because you're doing the things of God without the power of God. You want Jesus, but you don't want the Holy Spirit and you don't want the fire. Go back to Luke 3 and verse 16. John answered saying to all, Indeed, I will baptize you with water. But one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to lose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And Frontline has lost its fire. Frontline has lost its fire. And I, as the pastor, has been falling on my face for a week long. And saying, God, can't stay like that. It can't stay like that. Last night in church by Apostle Nicky, as he was mid-preach, a beautiful old gogo came, I can't say it anywhere else, but waddling down the aisle. She can scarcely walk. Really, really old lady. Dignified, dressed well. She walks and walks. It takes a long time and, and see the church is like looking dad's busy preaching and now she's walking down the aisle and she gets to the front and tries to go on her knees but you can see she's in such pain she can't bend she can't kneel down and she sort of like half goes down and then gets up again (laughs) tears running down her face she's half down again and then she's up again because you can see she just can't bend down but she wants to be at the altar of God more than about the pain that's in her legs. Eventually she just fell down in a heap because she just couldn't get down. But she wanted to be on the floor on the altar of God. She was hungry for more of God, more than what pain or anything else was there was in her life. I'm looking for that kind of fire. I'm looking for somebody that says, it doesn't matter what I look like. It doesn't matter how I feel. It doesn't matter about my comfort. I want to fall down at the front aisle. You know, we've tried to make it easy by putting pillows down here. And as I sat there in church, these pillows became an offense to me. Because we're trying to make the altar easy. But the altar can never be easy. You have to sacrifice yourself. But even with us making it easy, nobody is using it. I need the church who wants to fall on their face and say, God, I need you. Pillow or no pillow. God, I want more of you in my life. I'm tired of who I am. I do not want to be stagnant. Stagnant in my worship. Stagnant in my prayer. Stagnant in my leadership. Stagnant in my giving. God says, no more stagnant frontline. Oh, shit. God is going to rebuild some altars in frontline. God is going to rebuild a place of sacrifice. A place of giving it all. A place that it's not about me and my comfort. I said to the team earlier this morning, we've become more about process than what we've become about the Holy Spirit. We've got more people in security and at the 
COVID stations and at the, than what we've got guys on their knees praying. Leadership, servants, members who are giving for this church, I need you to become a praying church. I need you to push in, not for two minutes or five minutes, with a list. Pastor Nikki asked this question. When last have you prayed for longer than an hour? And the church got quiet. He asked, when last have you prayed for longer than half an hour? Not with your shopping list, your grocery list. Not with your needs and about you, but about the things of God and the Holy Spirit and revival and your city that is going to hell. He asked this question and the church really got quiet. When last have you prayed for 15 minutes and you didn't mention one of your needs? cannot say we want Jesus but we don't want the Holy Spirit we cannot say we want the baptism of John which is the repentance and coming to Jesus but that Holy Spirit stuff stay there it's like saying I want a car but don't put an engine in it how far are you going to get with a car like that how far are you going to get if you get the most beautiful car, man, with every flashy thing that you can imagine, that's a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. That is where we're saying, I want to do everything right so that it looks good. If I park that car in the parking lot, everybody's going to say, Wow. When we stopped there on Friday night at the NDCFC, somebody had got a new AMG Mercedes, what, what. And we were all eyes, men are, looking at the car. But we were interested in what was under the bonnet. We were interested with how much kilowatts and how many cylinders and how many what is in the engine. I'm not really interested in the leather seats and the buttons that makes the stuff go up and down and the sound and all that. I'm interested in what's under the bonnet. God is interested in what's inside of you. God is interested in that baptizing you with the Holy Spirit. He's not interested in having a nice church that's comfortable with aircons and pillows and all the stuff. But we've got no engine. It's time that we pursue the fire of God. Sacrifice is where an altar is built. It's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you something. What's it going to cost? Well, well, speak for myself. Most of the 4x4 outings that happens in this town happens on a Sunday. Okay? The Grand Prix happens on a Sunday. My sport that I love happens on a Sunday. Who have been praying for the Yohan Road Revival? Who's mentioned that in their prayer before? Can I ask most of the leaders and the members of the church? Can I say, church, we're not ready for that? It's like somebody praying for a car, but never getting their license. 
A car without you having a license is just an ornament. And you're going to be a danger if you get behind the wheel and you don't know how to drive it. Does that make sense? So if you don't have a car, start first praying. Say, God, give me a license. Let me go prepare. Let me go learn. Let me go do it. A license isn't going to fall out of heaven. You're going to have to do something about it. The same with revival. We have to get ready as a church for revival. Otherwise, we shouldn't pray for it. We should be training and saying, what is it going to cost? How are we going to do it? What is the thing that's going to do it? It's an offense to pray for it, but not be willing to pay the price for it. For me, Dad had 10 days of revival. I got to four days of it. I got to four meetings. And I'm the one praying for a revival. I'm the one begging God to pour out a revival for it. And there's 10 days of revival 50 kilometers away and I can't get there. Because I get home half past six and I'm tired and I want to spend time with my family. Who wants to now drive an hour to church? And then have a four hour service and then drive an hour home. What time did we get home on Friday night? Quarter to 12? No, the price is too high, Dad. Nobody will say it like that, but I've got something else on. If you've got anything else, we just said, exalt you, Jesus. He's got to be exalted above everything else in your life. Otherwise, revival won't happen. While there's other things that are higher than him, revival won't happen. While there are other things that we make more important, and I'm preaching to myself, you must understand this. I've been crying out to God, what a mess up I am. Because I do all the stuff that looks nice. But I'm not willing to pay the price. A few people were at prayer meeting last night. We need to, as a church, become a praying church. Otherwise, we mustn't pray for revival. You can't spend two minutes in service on Sunday morning saying, I'm praying for the Yohan Road revival. But if we say, we call it our prayer, no, 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 that's going to make my life uncomfortable. It won't happen. I want to preach now something that I have known all of my pastoral life, but that I have not preached because I know people won't like it. I want to now preach something that God has laid on my heart for years, but I've been too scared to preach it. If you are offended by it, join the club because I don't like it either. Genesis 22. From verse 1. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. And he said to him, Abraham. Like God is saying, front line today. And if God says front line, what will be our answer? Here I am, Lord. Isn't that what we would do? This is a very, very personal journey for me. 
So let me take you on a journey. Then God said, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain. I'll show you. Can you imagine the discussion that morning in the house with Sarah? You know, this son that we've prayed for for so many years, for God to give us a son. We were 100 when God gave us this son. We're now 120 odd. And God says, I'm going to sacrifice him. I can imagine her lying with her head on his chest and him saying, I've actually got something to tell you. I want to talk to you about something, my wife. You know our son that's sleeping in the room next door? Today I'm going to go sacrifice him to Jesus. Some scholar says that she died because of the heartbreak of that moment. That later on she actually died because of the heartbreak of that moment. So now it's not only his son he's sacrificing, it's also his wife. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him. On the third day, so it's not like a short journey, I'm just going to go do it outside, make a little fire outside the tent. There's like an effort involved here. There's an upset of his daily plan. Whatever he had planned for those three days were moved aside. Whatever he thought was important the night when he, previous night when he went to sleep wasn't important anymore the next morning when he got up. It got moved three days later. I don't know what he had planned, but whatever he had planned got moved out. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. There's some traveling to be done. There's some cost. There's something that's got to move. And he said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we'll come back to you. He's lying to his son. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. You cannot have worship if you don't have sons who's willing to carry the wood. Placed it on his son Isaac and he himself carried the fire and the knife. Who knows, it wasn't a small knife. If you have to offer anything, if you have to slaughter anything, you're not taking your kitchen bread knife with you. I think that it was much bigger than this. I saw a video last night of a man slaughtering a cow in about eight minutes, and it was a quite a big job, but he had a huge sharp knife, and every couple of minutes he was sharpening the knife, because you can't do any offering with a blunt knife. So Abraham carried the fire, and it wasn't a big lighter, it was most probably Flintstone, something heavy, and he carried the knife to kill whatever is being sacrificed. Whatever you sacrifice, you cannot leave alive. I can't say I'm going to sacrifice something 
but I'm still going to enjoy it now and again. I'm still going to have some time with my son now and again. When you really sacrifice something, it's going to cost you that thing completely. The knife wasn't worth just for the show. The knife wasn't worth to play with. Sometimes as a pastor, I've got to say, hey, you've got to cut that out of your life. What happens? People walk out the door because they don't want to sacrifice anything. They don't want to be challenged. The Father has to carry the fire of the Holy Spirit to make something happen. And He's got to carry the knife to cut out of the Son's life anything that needs to be cut out. The Son has to carry the fuel that is going to create the fire, that multiply the fire. The Dad's going to start it. But the Son is going to take it and do something with it. Bring the wood that's going to burn to make it happen. And Isaac, as the two of them went on from the father, Isaac spoke to his dad and said to his father, Father, yes, my son. I'm thinking he knew that something was coming. He knew that then, no, now the rubber is going to hit the road. Now, this is now real. Yes, my son. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said. But where's the lamb for the burnt sacrifice? Where is the one that we are going to sacrifice to God? Because I think he started realizing, hey, hey, there's something missing in this, this sum. This sum is not making sense. Abraham answered, God's going to provide for him. And two of them went up together. And then Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood on it. And he bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar. Jared and Uncle Dave, can I see you too quickly? Come here. Come up. Okay. So Isaac was somewhere between 18 and 37 years. The Bible's not clear what age. Are you between 18 and 37? Okay. And Abraham was about 120. You're not quite 120, but we'll, we'll, you will act like Abraham, like 120 now. Is the 120-year-old Abraham going to be able to put the 18 or 30-year-old Isaac on the, the altar? Hey, if this is the altar, Uncle Dave, please put Jared here. <laughs> He's going to have to get on himself. Okay. He's going to have to get on and saying, whatever was important to me is not important to me anymore because I know my dad is doing something. But dad, I want to play the rugby tomorrow. I want to study. I want to work. I want to see my girlfriend. I don't know what the cost is to put yourself on the altar. I have a party arranged tonight, Dad. I don't know what your altar is that you have to lay down. But for anything to happen, for the sacrifice that brings the fire of God to happen, you need sons who are willing to say, I'll put myself down. I'll put whatever I have exalted above Jesus, I will rearrange it to put Jesus at the top again. Amen. 
But the angel of the Lord called out to him. He said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld your son from me, your only son. The Bible talks about Abraham's sacrifice. But I see Isaac's sacrifice. Because Abraham, it cost him his son a very big part of his life. But Isaac, it was going to cost everything. He was going to have nothing left. For Abraham, it was going to be his vision, his plan, his dream, his promise of God. His prophetic word. He was laying all of that down. But Isaac was giving it all. Isaac was giving much more than Abraham. It's like the difference between having the milk from the cow or the bacon from the pig. The cow is sacrificing its milk, but the pig is giving everything. There is a place where pushing into what God wants to do in that place where we talk about the Holy Spirit and fire where it is going to cost you everything I don't know if I can be real to you guys but 2020 left scars on me that I battled to put into words and I battled to actually bring them to the altar because I wouldn't allow anybody to touch it was too sore it was too enough to let anybody touch because I actually wanted to stay in my pain. I didn't want to totally let it down because the sore was too sore. Some of the leaders and pastors, as you know, from this church left, even including my own daughter. So there, there's a church down the road where I think I can find my destiny better than here. It made me feel like a failure as a pastor. It made me feel like if my own flesh and blood thinks this is not a good church, then what's the point? And what is the point? And as a range of people left during 2020 and resigned from leadership, I just said, God, I can never speak a word of offense again because what if another person leaves? What if I make another person uncomfortable? Without realizing it, I started toning down what I preach so that I don't offend. So that I can have a form of godliness. But I don't have anything that will make the fire because the fire is going to offend. The fire is going to make people leave. And I can't afford that anymore because emotionally I can't handle it. And the church became stank, stagnant, stinking water. Because the pastor was too scared to step out and speak the truth. And this is what God says about that. Oh, sorry guys. Revelations 3 and verse 15. I know you inside out and I find little to my liking. Why are you not cold or hot? Because I can deal with that, but I can't deal with this middle 
thing that's trying to be godly and trying to look like a car that's got everything, but there's no engine. There's no fire. There's no life. Because all the fancy systems run when the engine runs. And if the engine doesn't work, it won't be long and then it's not going to go anywhere. You might be able to put the radio on for a while and play with the windows going up and down and the fancy dashboard lights. But the battery won't last long and will be flat. And then you'll have nothing if you don't have an engine. If the church doesn't have the Holy Spirit and the fire of God, then we're going to end up with nothing. If you have allowed hurts and disappointments and the worry what other people think about you, then I'll open the altar to someone and say, God, I forgive me. God, forgive me for becoming stagnant. Forgive me for acting like I want to look like the godliness. Oh, Jesus. In verse 5 of Timothy 2 Timothy 3, says, having a form of godliness, but denying its power, have nothing to do with people like that. Why? Because it is going to kill everybody around you. It's going to drag everything down. If you make a church that makes those kind of people welcome, then you, the whole church, is going to be around that. And I've become so people-pleasing that I've been so scared if somebody prays in tongues, maybe somebody will be offended. If somebody prays for the sick and maybe somebody's going to react and a demon's going to manifest, then people are going to leave. So let please don't say any, don't pray a powerful prayer because I don't want to offend. Don't do anything where the Spirit of God moves because just now somebody leaves. There's a sacrifice, there's a cost. So I've had to lay my daughter on the altar and say, God, if you need her somewhere else, they, those that have left, that have walked away and said this is not for them, I've laid her on the altar and saying, God, you've called me to do something. And if you want to do that, then that's okay. I'm not anymore going to try and stop people from leaving. I'm not going to do anything to make this thing comfortable for anything but the Holy Spirit and the fire of God. Turn with me to Hebrews 13 and verse 15. Through Jesus, therefore... Let us continue offering to God a sacrifice of praise. Your worship has to be a sacrifice. If you're just comfortable in the worship, if you're just doing what you've always done and it doesn't cost you anything, there's no more sacrifice involved. It's a club. It's a party. It's a, a thing of um, just making noise. Let me tell you a joke in the midst of that. And it's not even a joke, it's a reality. A couple of Sundays, Saturdays ago, our neighbors had a party, a karaoke party. 
And I know there was 13 people at the party because every song was played 13 times while they repeated the same song 13 times. And I think Piano Man, they did about 30 times. Okay? And the more falser, the later it got and the drunker they got, the falser they got. And I want to prepare for Sunday and I've got to listen to this. So at about one o'clock, they were singing the song, Shout, shout, let it all out. Again and again and again with loud applause and loud fun. And I don't mind having fun, but it was getting a bit much. So somewhere when between where people were changing from the one singer to the next and there was a quiet moment, I went out on the stoop and I sang out to them as well. And I won't do it now, but I screamed at them as false as I possibly could. And I didn't have to try hard for that. Shout, shout, let it all out. Mandy was somewhere between cross, embarrassed and laughing at me because I just had that enough. And church is not a karaoke show. Church is a place of praise and worship where your praise and worship is a sacrifice. Where praise and worship takes you into the presence of God. Where if you know the week hasn't gone the way it's gone, maybe we need to be on our faces and saying, God, help me this week I wasn't on fire. This week the pressures of life has killed every little bit of fire I had in me. Then Sunday morning is your place of repentance. Sunday morning is a place of again establishing God order. Lord, this week I wallowed in my offenses. This week I wallowed in my self-pity. This week I wallowed in trying to make people happy. Then Sunday morning, and praise and worship, and we're going to praise and worship just now, is a place where we push in. How is revival going to happen to a stagnant church? In the dark ages, in the midst of the biggest dead church time ever, Martin Luther read one sentence in the Bible. He had spent 20 years studying the Bible and rewriting the Bible. And he read this sentence, The just shall live by faith, not by paying a penance or saying 20 Hail Marys or doing any other thing, but the just shall live by faith. And he took just those couple of words and he shared it out to the whole of Europe and the whole of Europe fell on their face. Because one man had a revelation that the church was missing it. Just on one thing. How often do we now say that word? The just shall live by faith. We don't understand that somebody had to sacrifice their whole career. They had to sacrifice their family. They had to sacrifice everybody that respected them and loved them for that one sentence. To take that sentence and put it up on the door and declaring that God is now going to change everything by faith and not by your works. So how does revival happen? By one person finding one revelation and sharing that with others. But that revelation doesn't come by itself. That revelation has to be mindful. It has to be searched in the word. It has to be worked out. 
until you have that moment saying, I found something in the Word that I'm not hearing people preach at the moment. I found something in the Word that can set people on fire. You have to work for it. You have to mine for it. You have to search for it. You have to sacrifice for it. God, what is the Word that's going to set Frontline on fire? What is the Word that's going to change the West Rand? What is the Word that's going to change Honeydew? Turn with me to Ezra 10. While Ezra was praying and confessing, weeping and throwing himself down before the house of God, a large crowd of Israelites, men, women, and children, gathered around him. And they too wept bitterly. Because they realized he's not alone on his journey. He's not alone. He's not the only one that having a form of godliness, but is not pushing in for the power of it. He didn't realize that they realized that it wasn't a man thing, it was a God thing. And a large crowd gathered crying bitterly. It's time that we pursue what God has. 1 John 3 and verse 8 says, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. We're not here to have church to soothe your conscience so that you can tick off the box, I was at church. We are here to destroy the work of the devil. We are here to make to nothing the plan that the devil has for Honeydew. The plan that the devil has for all the surrounding areas. That's the reason we're here. So we push in for that thing that God did. Saying, God, I know the reason that Jesus came was to destroy the work of the devil. But Ashley is... Some of the people that go out and deal with things that happen will tell you about the evil that's happening in this area. If you take a little bit of time to find out, you'll know about the pain, the heartache, the poverty that is present in this area. And you've got to say, Jesus, you are here to change it. You are here and you've sent me to bring change. Jesus was with his disciples for three years and then he sent them out. So I'll start by using three years as the goal. If you have walked with Jesus for three years and you're not operating the way his disciples operated, then you haven't walked with him for those three years. God is calling us to operate in the same power that his apostles did after three years of walking with them. But they walked with him day and night. They were pushing in every day to hear, How did, what do you mean by that? What does this mean? You did that, you said that to that man. Explain to us what was that about. So they took three years of change. They took three years of saying, I'm not going to stay where I'm at. I'm going to change all the time. I'm not going to be stagnant. If you haven't raised somebody from the dead, let's just go right to the end of it. Have you walked with Jesus? When last have you prayed for a sick person and seen them healed? On Friday night, 
Grant gave me a word before church, and I'm so thankful for that. He said, I see your dad as a new toy that's bought, and there's the batteries are inside, but there's a little piece of plastic in between that is stopping the power that's in the battery from making the toy work so that the battery is saved. Do you guys know what we're talking about when we say that? Get it? Sometimes in new cell phones and new watches and all kinds of things. There's something separating the power that's available inside of you from flowing. And he said, I see God pulling out that clip. So it wasn't long and dad called me up to pray for somebody. And this lady, a pastor's wife, had been in a car accident and her chest had been damaged and she's in serious pain because of this chest. And it's not getting better and it's taking months and it's not getting better. And I stood in front of her and I said, God, remove whatever is stopping the power that's inside of me from flowing through. And I laid my hands on her and she started shivering like this and the heat in my hand was just like crazy. And she starts crying. She had quite a lot of hair that was nicely made up. And I laid my hands on there. And we went to go sit down. And I said to her, you need to testify. Because she was so excited about it. But she was shy. She didn't want to testify. And she went up and she shared. And God did something so beautiful. But we had to have that clip removed of the power of God. I laughed last night. She said to me, if you pray for a lady again, don't lay your hands on her hair. Her hair is holy. <laughs> you mustn't touch a lady's hair. But um, God did something in that moment because I understood what God was doing through me. Oh, Jesus. We cannot be Christians and be Holy Spiritless. We cannot be Christians and be fireless. Because that's the whole reason Jesus came. That's what John said when he prophesied about Jesus. He said, there's one coming after me that is bringing more than what I could ever bring. I'm not even worthy of doing his sandals. I'm not even worthy of tying his sandals. He is going to baptize you in fire and the Holy Spirit. But what do the Christians do? I want to go to church, but I want to sit in the back corner where nobody will make me uncomfortable, where nobody is going to lay hands on me, where nobody is going to prophesy to me, where nobody is going to interact with me. May I say this, and sorry if I do hurt you or offend you, but your position that you sit in church is an indication of your hunger. Yeah, move around, it's getting hot, eh? <laughs> Every gap between the people and the people at the back is crying out and saying, do my people really want to receive from me? Because it is just the fact that the anointing sort of like dies here. That's why I moved the chairs forward. The moment there's a gap, the anointing dies. Every gap kills the anointing. And we make a church that's full of gaps so that the Holy Spirit can't get us. So the Holy Spirit might not fall on us. Just now I embarrass myself if the Holy Spirit falls on me. You've elevated your pride above Jesus.
You can go look in your own time. What does Jesus say about the prideful? I won't say it because you won't like me. I'm not trying to be, if you're here and you're trying out for the first time where Jesus is, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about those that week after week sit far in the back. And I'm not talking about those that needs to sit at the back for children or any other situation. Understand me nicely. I'm not denying practical things. I'm talking about people that want to be in church. That's saying, I want to be in church, but, but don't touch, don't get into my space. Don't get into that. I don't want to be too real with God. I want to preserve who I am while I'm in church. We need to lay it on the altar like Isaac did. We need to carry the wood to the top of the hill and saying, God, even if it costs me everything, I want everything that you paid for. Even if everybody walks out of the church because I preached an uncomfortable message, even if all the promises that you gave me, God, never comes true, but I was true to what you said I must do. So let us take a bit of time to worship and allow God to just refresh us. You've been given the word. You know that God wants to baptize you in fire and the Holy Spirit. I want everybody to just decide for yourself. Have you taken on a form of godliness and denying the power of God? Have you become lukewarm? Not me or anybody else can judge you in saying that you're that. Nobody else has the right to do that except Jesus himself. So I'm asking the church to ask this question of God. God has frontline become lukewarm. Has frontline become stagnant. Has frontline become people loving, people serving and have made to be accepted and be nice and be comfortable higher than having an encounter with God and then allow God to minister you can remove the tables and worship team come up thank you Lord Jesus and if you want to pray for us before we worship I'd like you all to stand please Each one of you needs to ask God, am I lukewarm? God, am I an offense to you because I've played at religion, I've played at Christianity, but I've never counted the cost. Jesus is worth it. Jesus is worth it. So today I want to say to you, today he's asking, will you come up with me to the mountain? Will you come up with me to the mountain? Will you get on that altar? And will you lay everything for his kingdom, for his glory? We can sit in safety all our lives and be a good little Christian. 
and we will die being a good little Christian. Or we can rise up and say, God, my life is going to count in obedience to you. Apostle Hannes has preached a word today. I'm asking you, will you respond to the call of God? If you know God's talking to you, I want you to raise your hands with me. And I want you to pray this with me. Heavenly Father, I hear you calling me. Get on the altar. I will get on the altar, Lord. I choose to repent of pride, of self-preservation, of Christianity that is denying the power of the Holy Spirit. I lay it all down. No more excuses. Lord God, today I surrender so that your name is glorified. Forgive me, Holy Spirit, for the times I've been ashamed of you. I will no longer be ashamed. I will no longer make excuses for the sin in my life. I repent. I repent, Lord. I repent. And Lord Jesus, I ask you from this moment on, invade my life. Change me. Whatever it takes. It's all for you, Jesus. In Jesus' name. As we worship now, as we worship now, you make decisions. You can come to the altar. You can kneel where you are. But God is in this house. God is in this house. And God is wanting all of you. It's time, people. It's time. You say, yes, God. Yes, God. Yes, God. We hope that you enjoyed today's message. Our services are streamed live on our Facebook page every Sunday morning at 9.30. For more information and resources, please go to our website www.frontlinecitychurch.co.za or look us up on Facebook, Instagram and YouTube.